Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. Uh, it's coffee break. I am Spencer Campbell. I almost introduced myself as Dr. Campbell because you just mentioned being in teacher mode and I went into teacher mode for a second. <laughs> no, I'm Spencer Campbell, uh, aka, AKA Gila RPGs. Um, this is coffee break. It's a Every Sunday, I sit down with cool folks in the indie RPG scene, and we just chat over, over coffee about whatever it is that we want to talk about. That's right, Dice Ghost. I'm Dr. Gila. Um, and this week, I am absolutely delighted to have Travis Hill joining me today. Uh, Travis, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the fine folks at home? Sure thing. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't say happy birthday, happy late birthday in front of everybody. Um, <laughs> I... Spencer has told me beforehand that it was full of a lot of cake and it's going to continue to be full of cake, which is to me the best birthday, honestly. Um, my, my name is Travis Hill. I go by, I have he, him pronouns. I do a lot of random stuff, really truthfully. Um, I do game design in both the board game world and in the indie RPG world. Um, in the board game world, I tend to focus on um, economic train games um, is where I like to spend a lot of my time. Um, uh, Spencer and I were joking beforehand, the wall of games behind me is kind of like, you know, your traditional board gamer stuff. Um, so I... Um, so I do a lot of economic train games uh, in the indie RPG world. I like really small short intriguing um introspective types of games i like making games that uh make people think gets people um out of their comfort zone a little bit i don't shy away from difficult topics like death and masking and a lot of those types of those types of things so um i do that outside of that i'm in public education in texas so you know that's the whole thing <laughs> Um, I am a coffee enthusiast, which is why I'm thrilled to be here on Coffee Talk. Um, and I'm a PhD student. And there you go. That's basically, aside from the rest of my family and my cat scratching at the door, that's about it. That's a great, that's a great intro. Lots, lots, lots to talk about there. <laughs> lots to dive into. You are a coffee. Too much. You're a coffee enthusiast, and I you did post the picture of uh, the coffee you were making just before this. So I knew you know, had to have you on just for your <laughs> coffee enthusiasm alone. It just felt right. Um, so I'm happy, yeah. happy to be sharing a cup of coffee with you this morning as Agreed. I take a sip. It's a, it's, it's a problem about, I guess probably about 10 or 11 years ago, I really started getting into craft coffee. Mm. There's a coffee shop down the street from us. Um, and it was it was a thing that I started realizing that I was getting coffee from them. And I, I slowly started realizing that I didn't have to put cream and sugar in my coffee. Mm. So I slowly cut out sugar. Um, <clears throat> flip that. I slowly cut out cream. And then after a couple of after a few more months, I started cutting out sugar. And I really started realizing, oh, man, look at this. Look at these flavors that I was getting. And look at this this feel and this whatever. Like I was able to kind of really start to take on like what was this what like all of everything around it the, then i started asking questions hey how do you do this right what does this look like how does this make whatever and then just started asking around and slowly um slowly started amassing all of the gear that you get for craft coffee <laughs> um 
my uh my spouse was super funny she said i don't mind you getting into this as long as you make it every day because i'm a morning person and uh, she's not a morning person and so it was very much a hey you know we want to make sure that you're you know i'm not going to be the one that gets up and make it it's going to be you and i'm like done i can i can make that happen and nice so here here we are um i do <laughs> have to throw in i do have to throw in the caveat that even though I like craft coffee, I will not judge anybody for the coffee that they drink. You know, people feel like they tend to be on pins and needles sometimes because mm. they're like, oh, Travis, well, I just got this K-cup. I'm like, I don't care. Right. You drink whatever you like to drink. I'm not, but now would I drink it? Absolutely not. 100% <laughs> no, but whatever you feel good with, you do it. And that's fine. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's that's a nice, healthy way to to. <laughs> To, to see and appreciate the the world of coffee um my my friend uh my 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 very good friend mike reeman who's done like some art and layout uh for some of my rpgs like he's doing slayer's almanac he used to work for a roastery down downtown chicago so he's the one that got me into the concept of craft coffee i truly was not a coffee person through most of grad school, which my friends were like, how did you get through grad school without coffee? <laughs> and it was energy drinks, energy drinks. <laughs> That's how I did Pounding. <laughs> so not a good alternative. Um, and <laughs> my good buddy, Mike, he, uh, he worked at, like I said, one of these small independent uh, roasters and it started to introduce me to the different you know different ways that coffee can like capture flavor profiles with beans and how mm. it's cooked and i was just like well and i at yeah. the time i'm not anymore but i used to be very into craft beer you're in chicago mm. you're gonna get into craft beer because there's just a microbrewery brewery at every corner so like <laughs> i started to appreciate craft beer and the different things that you could accomplish with craft beer and he's like you like this stuff just take that same mentality and understand that we can do mm -hmm. that with coffee and that like unlocked it for me and then i got super into it then i started being like okay well like show me right just truly show me all the weird <laughs> tools show me all the beans yeah um you know it was dangerous because he worked at this place and uh at the end of the week could take home as many beans as he wanted from the place because whatever they didn't sell at the end of the week they would donate mm -hmm. uh yeah and so they're like take whatever you want so i was just like five pound bags of beans going home and i'm like i'll never use all of them wow. but i have them now <laughs> uh -huh. oh man uh, my favorite tool though my favorite i have it i don't i haven't used it in a while i need to use it uh now that we've set up, we started to set up at our house is I have a Kyoto dripper, which I don't know mm. if you've ever had Kyoto drip coffee before. I haven't had it before. No. If, you, if you've ever seen the device, it looks like straight out of a chemistry set. It's tall. It's like <laughs> uh -huh. two, three feet tall. And it's this, you basically fill the top with ice water and it goes through this extremely long, weird spot, you know, all the spiraling yeah. tubes and everything. It feels like you're doing mad science. And it just yeah. drip, drip by drip <laughs> will slowly mm. fill the vessel at the bottom. It takes, you know, mm. it could be like an overnight sort of thing to get the yeah. the vessel filled. But it is incredibly potent. Whatever you get on the other <laughs> side is like 
you're pouring it like you're pouring a scotch. You're not pouring it like you're having a cup of coffee. Oh gosh, that's fun. Yeah. And the flavor is wild, wild. Um, uh-huh. I, if you if you could ever find a place that does Kyoto drip, just you got to try it because, um, and just try a little of it. Do not slam it. <laughs> Do not slam it. Because uh, I I drank it and I was, you know, I'm as a person who regularly drinks coffee i don't get like coffee buzzes all the time but like that one i was like okay this is Uh, this is a new experience for me right now during during lockdown um i got a manual espresso machine Mm. and it's through flare espresso and it's just kind of this lever contraption that has a pressure gauge on it um and really all that all that happens I'm going to apologize. That's my cat. I don't know if you can hear my cat stretching at the door. He's like, let me in. You never let me out. This is also the front of the house where all the light is. So like, this is where he likes to be. Mm. So sorry, sucker. Um, <laughs> so that, so that being said, I, um, I got this manual espresso machine and, um, I was really trying to figure out how to make it work like you. I'm not, um, I, I don't get the coffee shakes at all really but i did that summer because i was experimenting a whole lot i was like okay this and i'm pulling it i'm making it okay that doesn't that doesn't feel quite right but then i'd feel bad because i'm using all this coffee and i'm like well i have a little bit of the espresso and you know half a shot of espresso is half a cup of coffee and then if i end up having seven you know (laughs) half shots of espresso then by the end of it i'm just like "Uh." Mm -hmm. so no it's yeah it's it's good we found ways to doctor that up um especially once again, in Texas, it's nice because over summer it gets pretty hot here, and so we were able to. I would, I would pour that manual espresso, um, and and just dump it into a glass of milk with ice, and just shake it up, and just have ice lattes. Oh man, yeah. My spouse, she she would heat up. Uh, she would make some simple syrup with vanilla in it. Oh, it was just so good. <laughs> that does sound really good. This is yeah. this is truly now we've truly. <laughs> reached coffee break having the appropriate name where we're like we're we're getting into it um it's you know i was mentioning but just before this that my my partner doesn't like sweets so i'm uh-huh. i'm responsible for eating this entire cake that's in our house right now fair poor me uh but she also isn't a coffee person um oh god so like i have all these tools but i have to make them just either in like truly just for myself or i again i overproduce and then i'm like well now i have a whole vessel of kyoto drip to drink on my own <laughs> yeah it, it you know it, it keeps for a little bit but it's just like okay it's all me that's gonna be consuming this right now um yeah uh-huh pretty much she she very much believes that if she has even just one sip that she won't be able to sleep at night. I'm like, this is in your head. There's no way that <laughs> the caffeine is that powerful in your system. But she just could be that bad. She just won't drink it. So it's it's just me. It's just me with my weird little beakers and tubes and metal contraptions <laughs> doing my mad yeah. science downstairs. But I love it. Um, now here's a here's a yeah. coffee thing. Because um, Adam Vass, a friend of mine, really loves coffee as well and, and messes mm-hmm. with it. Um, and they do the espresso lemonade. Have you ever done Ooh, an espresso lemon, espresso lemonade or an espresso tonic? No. no, no, I haven't. I haven't. But recently I've seen a lot of people that have been dumping espresso into orange juice. 
Really? And it, that was that was kind of my response. And pretty much everybody across the board unilaterally are going, no, there's no way this is going to work. And then they drink it and they're like, oh my goodness, I think this actually worked. I still haven't tried it yet. I don't I have some know orange how juice. I feel about that. Oh yeah, I don't know. Apparently, the acidity between both of them it ends up being a whatever. I I would probably have heartburn, um, but <laughs> I I don't know. I I, try- I haven't tried lemonade either. I tried the lemonade one because that's what Adam and then many people once Adam mentioned it, uh, have have tried and it was weird. It was a very strange experience. <laughs> like it's very difficult to explain what it tasted like because it did the, the the first flavor that hits your mouth not a fan of not a fan of the first thing that hits your tongue but then it like lingers and it stays and it's good after that so it's this weird drinking experience where you're like i have to get through the sipping experience i must sip get hit with this but then know that it will become huh. something in a moment's time That's uh, good to know it's but I, so I, then I was talking with um, Nevin Holmes about it, and uh, Nevin was saying it might have been the lemonade that you have. Like you're, it 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 really mm. swings in flavor depending on the type of lemonade that you get in terms of like, is it how sweet it is? And and I had gotten like low sweetness lemonade, like less less sweet, and so I think that messed with the. What how it's supposed to work, um, but apparently you huh. can also mix it with tonic, and it's very refreshing. It's good for the warm weather, which again kind of feels wild to me. Feels it, it's one of the, the orange juice one. That one, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They just get a big old glass of OJ and just dump the espresso in and stir it up. And I don't. I just. I don't know. I can't. I, I'm. I like to experiment, but I don't know if I want to experiment in, in that capacity. That's I think very, that's about as far as I go. That's really it's wild. So like a, it's in us in a like a glass of orange juice too. Like and that's the other thing is like the proportions, yeah. right? Like what are your like mm-hmm. the ratio of the espresso lemonade is one to one. So it's huh. it's okay. not like uh you pour it into a big old glass of lemonade and the espresso flavors of lemon. It's one and one and it <laughs> creates wow. a very like it's 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 that's wild. It's very very wild. So I don't know if you ever get some lemonade, just just try it. I guess. I mean, I'm Give definitely I'm definitely doing the orange juice probably Tuesday because that's my next work from home day, and I'll just I'll okay. sit there and I'll go. All right, orange juice espresso. Here we go. <laughs> See if Travis mm. is playing a long con on me. <laughs> Scroll through TikTok. It's on there. That's right. where I found it. <laughs> like where you find everything else. That's awesome, uh, and that's coffee break. That was, I mean, that that right there. That's that's fifteen solid mil- minutes of of coffee talk. That was that was great. That's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Right <laughs> is the scary part. You can go down that rabbit hole deep. Whenever I have learned. I, whenever I was, um, whenever I worked on an actual campus, I'm at the district level now. Mm. Um, but whenever I worked on a campus, we had um, we had these uh, professional development days, 
that we that instead of making them about actually being professionally developed, we we changed them so that they were fun days. Um, <laughs> and so people could create um, they would come up with sessions like hour long sessions and people and, and staff members would sign up for it. And you would just say, hey, I can have this many people. And I did a coffee one twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon, every single time that we did it. And I would bring in I'd bring in um, a, a, a French press and I'd bring in a Kalita and a Chemex and an AeroPress and my grinder and two kettles. And it would just be this whole thing that I right. would set up. Um, and it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun because it was like tasting and be able, and like I would use the same coffee and it wasn't about like tasting notes necessarily, mm. but it was all about like the different ways that you can brew coffee so much so that the principal at the school that I was at, um, he came up to me afterwards and was like, Travis, I'm going to need a list of, <laughs> of all, all of that equipment that you use and no joke a week later, this box of stuff shows up at the school and he was like, Hey, come here, come here, look at this. And he opens it up and it's like, <laughs> it's like, a, a $300 grinder. It's a Chemex and a scale and filters and all the kettle. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm like you dove all in. <laughs> that's, that's not like slowly wading into uh-uh. the pool. That's I'm diving. Yeah. He's first yeah. into the deep end. <laughs> this is it. This is, I'm going in right now. You know, I wish <laughs> I, I do in, I do envy people that are able to do that. Mm. Um, I tend to, dip my toes in the water a little bit but you know if you can go in just kind of whole hog and just make it happen then r- run with it you know i i tend to do that i tend to like i i don't i don't i'm horrible at like pacing and being patient with things so it's like if i find a new thing that i love i'm like well this is just gonna be the thing that i do for almost exclusively for a period of time until i, until I find the new shiny thing that distracts me over here and then i go chase that for a little while uh that's that's how that's how i do things so um let's talk about games for a little bit uh just because i don't know i guess we could talk about games while we drink this delicious coffee we've been talking about i want to i want to know about the the train games because i feel like that's (laughs) i i play a lot of board games but that is definitely one of the genres of board games that is a like it's a void for me like it's one that i haven't Mm -hmm. truly played so you mentioned economic train games the only tr- i yeah. played two train games one is actually i think a train game the other one is just takes place on a train uh colt express which is not actually a train mm-hmm. game but it takes place on a train it's place on a train you're robbing a train um and then ticket to ride which mm-hmm. i don't know is ticket to ride what you're talking about when you say like an economic train game is it at all in the similar genre or am i like way off so here, so here's the funny thing. Um, it depends on who you ask, oh. and, the, and the reason why I say that is um, is because there are a lot of people who gatekeep train games. Mm. Um, they're just like in any other subset of any genre in any type of tabletop game, board, RPG, or whatever. There are people who gatekeep what is and what isn't a train game, right? Right. I I use the term economic train game 
mostly because an economic trend game means that there's money involved, mm. right? There are shares involved. There is some type of uh, shared incentive that's going on. Like there's a company and multiple people can buy into that company and buy shares in that company. And depending on the number of shares you have in that company and how well the train does um, in the game, like their route or whatever it is, you get uh, whatever that kind of payout is for, for, for a game, right? And so that's what I think of whenever I talk about economic train games. Gotcha. You kind of have two different flavors of that. You have uh, the big old boys, 18XX games, like these guys right there, right? So, and those are the ones that everybody always goes to because like that's the one that it, that it's just, it's this table hog. You have thousands of dollars of poker chips. You It takes six hours to play. Okay. It's this game that everybody's like, oh, I don't want to play a train game because that's what a train game is, right? Mm. Then you have these small, you have these, we call them cube reels because, um, I'm not going to go into the whole history of all this stuff, but cube, <laughs> but cube rails, cube rails games are, um, are, are smaller games that are played typically in about 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and these games in typically involve shared incentives, right? So you have, um, three to five companies, you have three to five or six shares of each company. People are taking on their turn. They're taking different actions. They could, they could, uh, lay track, in a, in a company that they own, they could uh, put a share up for auction. Um, they could call dividends and so they could get paid out. There are a lot of different things that happen whenever you get these economic train games. Some of the popular ones are things like Chicago Express, Irish Gage, Iberian Gage, um, uh, Paris Connection. These are kind of like the big ones that have been coming out. Ride the Rails, um, if you're familiar with Capstone. Uh, games they've been putting out a bunch of train games recently reprinting mm. older train games um and updating them so like Amabel holland who runs holland spiel um she and she and her wife both run holland spiel but she's the designer of like irish gauge and iberian gauge and all this other stuff and so um those are a little different than ticket to ride um there are a lot of you know hardcore train gamers that would look at things like ticket to ride and be like nah that's not a train game um, I would say it is a train game because it's a game that has uh, trains in it and you're building <laughs> routes across the United States. Now, is it an economic train game? No, because you're just getting points at the end of it and you're doing some stuff and wheeling and dealing and playing some cards. So right. it's train themed and it is a train game, but it's not an economic train game. And as I said, that's kind of where I like to draw the distinction. So I sit on the economic train game side in the sense of I'm making games that are about passing around money. Whoever has the most money wins. You're, you're knocking out some, you're buying shares in companies, you're laying some track, doing some silly things like that. And they're all playable in, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. And that's, I love those, those it's probably my favorite genre of games uh, strictly because it's, they're, they're fun. Um, what I really, really enjoy about them, and this is kind of interesting because this, this is going to be a wild connection. Um, it actually fits a lot with what I love about RPGs because in an economic train game, even though it's a competitive game, in an economic train game, what you're doing is you are building something together mm. and you're always and, and the game isn't about what's on the board, but the game is trying to figure out what other people are doing at the table. Right. And so, and so 
economic trend games have a lot, like there are a lot of people that ask questions, is money hidden or is money open info? Well, money's always open info because like you want to be able to go, well, Spencer, you have $38 and I have $39 and I think I would be able to make it happen, you know? Mm. So that's what I absolutely love about economic trend games. Yeah, they're they're wild. They're that, a fun trip. That's cool. I, I think, because I have seen, I have seen the big ones. I've seen the pictures of like the big, the, the big honking games that take up the whole table sort of thing. I, I'm, yeah. I'm curious because as someone who has not played an economic train game, I, I primarily play games like two-player games, like me and my partner and I. So mm -hmm. like, what's your go-to recommendation for one of those smaller ones that is good for like, are, I guess, first of all, are economic train games good for two players? No, okay. No, that's that that <laughs> that's the issue, right? Because what happens with a two-player train game is that because of shared incentives, um, you know, I buy I buy a share in a company, you buy a share in a company. Cool. Now we're equal partners. Right. <laughs> you know, it's a lot, it's a lot of tit for tat. Yeah. Um, that is kind of just one of those global things that um that people would love to be able to figure out. Um, it's kind of a Annabelle. MML calls it like that's the you know that's like the golden ticket. Yeah. He's trying to find a viable, interesting two-player shared incentives economic train game. Um, and there's some people that like put together some bots and do things yeah. and try and figure out some stuff, but ultimately it's kind of hard. So really, what you're looking at is what are what are those three-player games, you know? Okay. And if you're able to get five players, that's cool, or four players. Most of them tend to be three to five players. Okay. Um, some games work great at three. Some just have a three-person player count on the box that are absolutely garbage um, at three players. And it's just how it goes. Well, if we don't play... It's, if it's not just her and I, then we do have two friends who typically play games with us. So what is going to be then... So not your two-player recommendation, but like uh, mm -hmm. what hits hits nice at four players... And I will say, with two of those players not being big board game people, like not yeah. not that they don't like board games, but they don't have like they look at a shelf and they go, "I don't know what any of this <laughs> is." Right? So, yeah. like, uh -huh. what's the like what's the entry level economic train game uh, to for first of all for me because I've never played it, but for my partner who's like just learning what games are in the first place. Mm -hmm. Easy. If you can get four people, Paris Connection is going to be is going to be should be your go-to. I'm writing it down just, right now. Just through through and through. Paris Connection, you could normally get it used somewhere because it comes in this giant ridiculous box. It's from <laughs> Queen Queen Games. And so it's in this box that's too large. In fact, what I where is it? Where is it? It's behind me. I cut the box down. Ah, like, I literally, like, oh, yeah, is, <laughs> I literally just cut the box like in half um, because it fits exactly everything that it needs to fit. And I was like, I don't care. I don't know. Some people are like cringing right now, but I did. I got like an exacto blade and a ruler and I just chopped it down. But Paris Connection okay. is a fantastic four player game. It takes about 30 minutes. Um, no surprise. You are laying track out on the board. But the fun thing about it is that there's no money involved but at the end of the game you're counting up points which really is just kind of money so what's cool is that you have uh you have this screen in front of you and you have trains these just itty bitty trains and those count as your shares of the company mm. and so like i have you know a brown is sitting at 20 
at 20 points over here and I have three brown chairs, three brown trains behind me, then I have 60 points, right? right. That's just kind of how the game works. But what's fun is that it's a limited amount, um, a limited number of those of those uh, trains that are available, then at some point you start to notice that like some companies are doing better. And so you have to make this, you have to make this choice of like, well, you can actually, one of your actions, you can trade. Okay. So you could take a share from back behind your screen and you could trade it in for one or two of a different company. And so I could trade in one brown because brown's doing garbage for like two blue shares or one red share. And so then that comes back behind your screen. So there's a little bit of like, of you, there's a little bit of hidden information. Yeah. And so for some people, they like that a whole lot, but then there's also a cap. And so I don't remember what the number is, but if you go like in a four player game, if you have more than um more than the number of shares that you're supposed to have like let's say the number is like 15 if you have say 16 shares then for every share above whatever that cap is for say like for like you're you in a four-player game you can only have 15 shares and if you have 16 shares every share above that is like negative 20 points oh nice nice right and so and so it doesn't normally happen but it kind of keeps people from you know doing that and so but i i love paris connection it's a great like 30 minute game it, it's kind of fun it has hexes your lane track there's a little bit of shares so it get it gets you in the feel and the mood for um for what a larger game could be yeah but also just kind of you know it takes out it, it takes out the money and a lot of times that's that's where that's where there's a disconnect and there's also no auctions that's also a massive disconnect with a lot of train games. It's just like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to auction. I, I can't evaluate what this is, mm. you know, or what the what the cost of this is. And that's where a lot of people struggle whenever it comes to economic train games. Is they just don't know. Like, I've never played this game before. I don't know what a good amount is. I guess I'll bid twelve dollars on this, right. and then they're out the rest of the game, you know, because they spent too much money. Yeah. All right, Paris Connection. I've got it written down. Paris Connection. Let me see if I can find a copy. If not, I'll just go to the Dice Dojo because they probably have one on the wall that I can try out. It's this huge game oh. store in Chicago where you know they've they've got that collection that you can just sit down and try things out. Oh yeah, I would. I would. It's been around for quite a while. I would be surprised if it wasn't on a shelf somewhere. Yeah. Sweet. And a long time ago, just as an aside, a long time ago, I guess probably about four years ago, um, Queen Games would always put these on sale on Amazon, mm. and they would be on Amazon for like 15 bucks. And so I had a friend who would buy like four or five copies at a time and give them away as gifts to people. Nice. That's it's awesome. just like, oh, I got, oh, Paris Connection on sale again. <laughs> Here we go. Here's five more gifts. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Paris Connection, I've got it written down. I'm going to check that one out. Excellent. Thank you for that recommendation. I'm excited. Yeah. You know, we're always trying out new new genres of games, seeing which ones hit. Um so mm. I've I've never done the economic train game before, so I'm I'm excited to try something new. They're 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 fun. They're and a lot of them are just kind of variations on a theme, yeah. which for me I really like <clears throat> one of as much as I like all sorts of other different types of board games. The problem that you have is, you know, you have to sit down and it takes 30 or 45 minutes to learn a big board game. Yeah. And by the end of it, you're tired and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this for the next two hours. But like a lot of these that can train games are just variations on a theme. So you just kind of look at it and go, okay, I know how this goes. What are the wrinkles in this? It takes you 10, maybe 15 minutes to go through the rules. You play it in 45 minutes to an hour and then yeah. you could 
play it again or play something else. And I just, that's far more, that's far more my speed yeah. than sitting down and playing five hour long games on a consistent basis. <laughs> yeah. We, we've, you know, one of our favorite games to play is star realms, which is a two, it's specifically designed as like two player. It's a deck builder. <laughs> and once you understand mm -hmm. how to, how a deck builder works, you know, every deck building game out there has its own rules and own take, but like generally the bones yeah. are there that like once you get it. So like I've introduced other deck builders and it goes like, okay, you've seen this like concept <laughs> before. This before. It's just Star mm -hmm. Realms was in space and now we're in, <laughs> you know, now we're fighting dragons. Uh, same concept though, right? And so it helps mm -hmm. transfer that that previous knowledge pretty seamlessly, which is it's nice. Fun. Um. Yeah. You did mention that you see the connection between RPGs, and you do design RPGs, which I wanna I wanna talk about. Um, I I want to talk about Distilled and Focused first, just because it's so <laughs> cool and it's you know it's it's the hot thing. It's the thing that's at the top of what you're. Oh, it's, thanks. It's, it's what you're working on. I mean, it's what you're working on right now, primarily in like with mm -hmm. RPGs. So uh, for folks who aren't familiar with it, what is Distilled and Focused? Sure. So I've been, I'll give you a little bit of background, I guess, leading up to it. Yeah. I had, <clears throat> like I mentioned at the top of everything, um, I'm in towards the end of my first year of PhD studies. And, you know, at some point there's going to be a, there's going to have to be a, a break. Mm. Truthfully, there's going to have to be a break to where I'm doing too much stuff outside of uh, full-time work and yeah. PhD studies that I'll have to go, something's going to have to take a backseat. And as much as I hate to say that game design is going to have to take a backseat, game design is going to be the thing that's going to take a backseat. No, game design has been wonderful because it's paid for my PhD studies up to this point, you know, which is nice. Grad school's been covered by game design. Um, Pretty cool <laughs> thing to say. Pretty cool. <laughs> I'm not complaining about that, but I just, you know, you, 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 you kind of have brain space at some points. And at some points you, I don't know how your studies went, but at some point that there are days I'm like, I really should be reading this article. Yeah. <laughs> I really should be working on this systematic review. That's I'm on spring break right now, and I'm like, hmm, what what one day this week am I going to work on this systematic review that's due in May? Okay, let's see. You know, it's just things like that. So at some point, I realized something's going to have to take a backseat. However, what I don't want to do is totally exit from the RPG scene because I've I've loved I've loved doing it for the last three and a half four years i've really enjoyed it um i found great community in it i've really been able to explore just super fun interesting ideas and more importantly i've been able to do it on my own time um i think for me it's been wonderful because i don't because coming from the board game world you always have to go through a traditional publisher mm -hmm. you always have to pitch your idea to people and then whenever whenever indie RPGs like really kind of blew up leading up to that first zine quest with Kickstarter, it, it just kind of opened up this enormous world of like, holy moly, you mean I can do this stuff and I can like, like order the stuff and I can ship it out myself and that's it. And so like that, that's how I've always done it. I've always made the stuff myself. I'll like I'll outsource a little bit of the artwork just because I am not an artist. Um, and so I'll do that, but like, I do all the shipping myself. I do all the packaging myself. Um, I don't outsource anything else. So really it's just, it's just kind of me. And so what's been fun about the entire process 
up to this point really truly has been the creation of stuff and seeing it get out to people and being able to explore a lot of ideas. So that's the lead up to, I've had this idea for about a year now of why aren't people doing more collective stuff? Yeah. Why are, and, and fortunately over the last year, I, more of that has been coming out where people are doing collections. People are doing collaborations with people, but like I grew up in like the, punk and hardcore and metal scene like way back in you know the mid 90s going up to the mid 2000s and like it was like we would all just make zines on stuff and it was always a collaboration of things that we would do together and we would pull together and we would cut and staple and bind and ship out all the things that you do and so i'm like why doesn't that really exist now in the current iteration of the rpg world and it and it does in a few places but i was like I can do this too. I've done this before. This is kind of fun. Now that I have my my recent and newfound knowledge over the last few years of, of how to produce this stuff and how to make it work and how to outsource some things, sure, let's run with it. So I knew that at some point, I know that at some point, I'm going to have to take a step back and actually designing stuff. Mm. But that won't stop me from being able to continue to put out things um, either for me or from other people. And so, you know, as a super fortunate, privileged white guy, I was like, what, what can I do to help empower new and underrepresented voices? Mm -hmm. And it's never about, you know, it's, it's never about what really can I do? It's about how can I help get these voices out into the world? Um, and so I just decided, well, why don't I just make a compilation? Why don't I make a zine that's a collaboration from a bunch of people? Um, I, I worked a lot on, I've worked a lot on pricing. I worked a lot on um, equitable pay, you know, trying to figure out what's the best way to make this happen. So distilled and focused is kind of like the result of this. And it's only the first iteration of it. And I'm, a big fan of let's change things and mm. shift things up. And, and you, you know how this goes, whenever it's the first time you make something, even though I have, uh, I'm fortunate that I have a lot of people that do follow me and do back my stuff. You never know how it's going to go. Right. I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but like anytime I ever would launch like a crowdfunding campaign, I would like, I was genuinely surprised every single time that it funded every single and time <laughs> right, and every time. And it's so wild because people are like, but, but Travis, like you, you know, you did like, you know, you set your funding goal for $500. I'm like, yeah, because that's what it costs to make the thing. And you're like, oh, well then, okay. Well, you raised, you know, $3,000. Well, yeah, because I didn't know that it was going to be that big. Like, and you just don't know. Right. And so I really wanted to bring that to people that might not have um, either the experience of doing something like this um, or, are able to go and publish things on their own. And I wanted to give people voice and I wanted to give people space without me being a part of it, aside from the fact of like layout and just kind of the production and shipping. And so that's where Distilled and Focused came from. Um, it came from this desire to, um, to bring new voices into the RPG world who might not, who might, all they have been doing up to this point is creating like one or two page RPGs, tossing them up on itch and hoping that people were actually going to back them or, or not back them, but, but pick up a copy. And so you've got this thing that makes you 
you know, 17 bucks or like me, I'm sure this will, this is very similar to how a lot of people did it at the beginning of their, um, their design journeys. I would just put stuff up for free all the time. I'd put things up for a dollar because you never value yourself and you go, mm-hmm. well, I spent, I spent 17 hours making this thing, but I'm going to put it up for a dollar and like hope that, that people or pay what you want. Right. And so you'll get like 45 downloads and 30 of them will be free and 15 and 14 of them will be a dollar. And one of them will be five bucks. And you're like, yeah, I made $12. Mm-hmm. I'm doing good, you know, but it's just like, it's not fair. Right. Yeah. And so the Tilden focus is a submission based zine where um, that's about 20 to 24 pages. It's a, it's going to be a six by six, zine and it's going to come out three times a year um and the the sequence is going to be i have a theme i take submissions i evaluate the submissions using rubrics right i evaluate the submissions <laughs> to figure out um you know and there are different there are different tiers you know i mean um i i have four different uh categories that people can submit for um the category of an actual rpg and the rpg really can only be like 750 to 850 words. Like it has to be kind of a small thing to fit the format, right? which is perfect. Right. And so I think it right now it's at 750 words. I think I'm going to bump it up to about 900. I think I can squeeze about that much more in with the space that I have. Um, so I have RPGs, I have um, illustrations, I have RPG supplements, if you have tables and stuff, and then I have an other category. And so um, I just wrapped up the first round of submissions for the very first issue, and I had 18 submissions, which is obviously thrilling to me. Yeah. I could only take seven. I made, I squeezed in an eighth one because they were all just so good, you know? Um, but I, but I, I did prioritize new and underrepresented people in the RPG world, you know, like yeah. those were like, I, it, it's kind of awkward for me to ask this question of people, but I did, um, but in the actual form, I did say, you know, Hey, what are, um, you know, it, explain why you're submitting to this you know explain what is your representation if you feel comfortable with it because i want to make sure that i'm not inadvertently just bringing to light voices that have and and backgrounds and perspectives that have been shared over and over and over again and so um, i really wanted i really wanted to encourage them um to encourage new people and different people to to kind of jump into it so 18 submissions uh, nine of them were actual RPGs. I'm looking at my my background here. Nine yeah. of them were actual RPGs. Um, that's a lie. Two, four, six, eight. <laughs> Ten of them were RPGs. Um, eight of them. Sorry, I had to double up some stuff. Eight yeah. of them were RPGs. Six of them were supplements. I got um, some. I got a, a few illustrations, and I got some poems, which is just the best thing ever. That's and I'm awesome. just thrilled. And so my first thing was rituals, and I wanted it to be as broad of a theme as possible. So rituals meaning you wake up in the morning and you and you you make your cup of coffee <laughs> and you do your thing, you know, or you're going out into the woods barefoot with your coven friends and dancing under the moonlight. What in anywhere in between. Right. But once I started getting them in and I started figuring out, okay, these are the ones that kind of like thematically all fit together. Then it was just kind of parsing stuff apart um, and going, this fits, this doesn't fit, this kind of fits. So this maybe depending on how we go mm. on how many more I need. So I had, I had seven and I put in an eighth one just because 
it, I, I wanted to, you know, um, <laughs> And so that and so that's it. So over over this week, because it's spring break, it's like I did this intentionally. Um, I'm going to lay out all the stuff over uh, over this week on spring break, kind of sit with it for about a week, go over all the stuff um, in terms of just making sure that proofing and editing I have um, a friend or two that they're going to look at it as well. Um, and then I'm going to order just a bunch of them, yeah. you know. Um, and so I think like sometime later today, um, I'm going to start tweeting out. Um, all of the contributors, kind of like some general overview of the stuff. I call make a big thread about it. Some overview of the stuff of what they've submitted, and then just you know, hope people pick it up. Yeah. Right. Um, the funny thing is, I haven't like I've announced it, but I haven't announced that pre-orders are open. And I already, I think I already have like fifteen pre-orders, which for which for me to make it worthwhile for contributors, I want to sell fifty copies okay. because what i what i want to do is for every physical copy that gets sold every contributor gets a buck 50. okay right and so for say like 750 words you know 10 15 cents a word i i want i want things to be i want things to be good you know what right. i mean um and then beyond that you know obviously beyond that they still get a buck 50 a buck 50 a physical copy people are going to i'm going to sell pdfs as well people are going to get 50 cents for every pdf that gets sold so ideally you know people could get a couple bucks um for a pdf and for a physical copy um i'm selling them for 15 bucks each okay. and i think it's i think it'll be cool it's my first time to do it you know obviously in this current iteration so we'll we'll see yeah, we'll see right? how, how things go you know, I love um, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm so that's this that's distilled and focused. That's I'm so excited about it. Like, I love the idea of obviously, like, just like anything that is a a, a collection or a collective of some kind is fantastic. Yeah. Just because, exactly like you said, that that experience for new designers of just like I'm just gonna put a, a one page thing up on itch and just pray that it somehow gets attention compared to all the other stuff that's going up on itch on like a daily basis. Right. And so like, mm -hmm. just like being like getting a signal in all the noise, first of all, is a, a hurdle that you have to <laughs> overcome. And then like it is. not knowing how to do layout or not knowing how to do art or find art. Right. Like that's another thing yeah. that stops people from, from go progressing any further. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and I think what, because um, you mentioned like it all kind of culminated to to was like Zine Quest is like, you know this recent indie explosion and the thing about Zine Quest as cool as it was in terms of like getting a bunch of people's stuff out there is it made it seem like these things had to be these highly polished like it's got like oh, all the bells man. and whistles like. Mm -hmm. And that's how I came into it. Like I came into it. I was like, I, I'm looking at all these other projects and I'm like, I, I guess it's got to <laughs> look like this. I guess it's got to be mm -hmm. like, that's what an RPG has to be. And so if you're new yes. and you're looking at this, you're like, well, how can I possibly do that? Right? Like, how could I possibly uh -huh. produce a 36 page book with art and all of these different, uh, style, you know, layout styles and print it and sh like, it's overwhelming. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Yeah couple that with all of the other hurdles like not having access to crowdfunding sources like kickstarter in the first place or uh, all mm -hmm. the other things like it's there's just one thing after another so there's actually <laughs> mentioned in chat of like with like when we did 
uh, uh, called was called the Lux Collective, a, a Lumen collection. And it wasn't like a single book, but it was a bunch of people who were making Lumen games all made them in a three-month period. And it was basically yeah. like promoting each other's games while trying to itch fund your own thing. And mm -hmm. that immediately helped you cut through the noise and get noticed. Be like, if you like this thing, let me tell you about five yeah. other things that are also of a similar... <laughs> Genre, you know, exactly. genre or style, and it helped people like just get the mm -hmm. attention that they needed to like get some actual money thrown their way. But like, I yeah. love that you're doing the the layout stuff and like you're you're handling the the shipping and the production because all of that like is so overwhelming. Easy. If you don't like it, it, it is. If you've it never is. done it before. You look at it and you go, this sounds like a nightmare. Like, I have to be a logistics person and a graphic designer and a writer and, like, all these things. Yeah. Um, it, you wear many I, I hats. Put out, I, I put out, I don't know, I don't know anymore, six, seven zines that, are, that have all had physical, you know, physical 20 to... I guess it's more than that now. I don't know. Probably about close to ten. But but I, I do shipping for everything. You know. I mean, it's it it's funny. It it they show up in a whole lot of boxes, and um and I spend a couple of weeks and I organize things in my free time and on weekends and I organize stuff like okay, these are going to be the number of copies that need to go um local versus international, and then I get envelopes and I always put stickers and things and just you know it, it, the the whole yeah. process. You're right. It is. It is incredibly overwhelming. The very first zine that I put out, uh, Reunification, way back in 20, way back, <laughs> back in 2019. Um, feels like way back at this point. I don't even Decades know. Decades ago anymore. at this point. Some point. It's called, <laughs> I guess, on when, I guess the question is when did 20, yeah, it would have been 2019 because I didn't do the third year of zine quest, mm -hmm. ironically enough, because it got too crowded. Yeah. Um, I, I felt that there were there were just like 500 zines out there and it, it was just like throwing something up on itch. Like there was just nothing to, there was no way to break through it. And once again, I do weird stuff a lot of times. So I'm just like, eh, no one wants to buy this zine about waiting <laughs> for your loved one to pass away. No one wants to, you know, while they're on hospice, no one wants to buy that one. Let's go with, you know, Goblet Adventures 3.0, right. which it's nothing wrong with Goblet Adventures 3.0, but that's just not what I like to design. And mm. so whenever you're doing RPG zines, people gravitate towards that a lot of times. Right. Um, but my very first one that I put out, Reunification, uh, which was a three to five player letter writing and question asking game about a family that has been torn apart by a civil war. And they are actually, uh, the country has begun reconciliation. And so the, the family is uh, reuniting for the first time mm. after like, all this time apart from one another. And so leading up to it, um, it's a game played in silence that you are writing questions to each other and people are answering those questions so that you can get a better idea of who your family is Yeah. before you actually meet them, right? Really cool. It was actually based off of um, some students that I oh. had had um who um had who had migrated from some really war-laden countries in africa and i had really good conversations with them and it was just absolutely wonderful to hear their stories and i asked them if i could use their names as examples in in the in the book it was these sisters and they were like oh my gosh yes and so whenever it came out i showed them i was like look this is you right here and it was just really cool you know it was um you know they're like 16 and 17 so um, yeah 
you know, I feel bad because I can't really like pay them royalties or whatever. But all that being said, at the end of the day, what ended up happening was that I didn't understand how shipping worked. <laughs> and I charged, I think like two, two or three bucks for shipping. And it cost me like $7 a zine to ship them. And so because I just didn't, I was packaging them incorrectly. I used a yeah. different size than I use nowadays. And it just ended up being this hot garbage mess. And I was like, cool, let, let's, let's work on this now you know, a dozen projects later, almost, I have that stuff figured out super easily. Right. <laughs> That's, you know, the process and the shipping and weighing things before you ship them to figure out how much mm -hmm. you're going to cost. <laughs> yeah, it's wild how that works, you know, I feel much better about that. I and then also just like factoring that stuff into other costs as well. It's just, it's important to, but you don't know until you screw it up and you go, I'm just lucky that I screwed it up on my first one and went, okay, now I know what to do from here on out. I screwed it up on Slayers, which was not the one to screw it up on because that was big. <laughs> that, was a, that was a bath I took on shipping because I just totally, I didn't do the weigh it afterwards. And, you know, I was very much under the, you know, I charged shipping in the Kickstarter itself and without having a sense of what the book would actually weigh. So it was total guess mm. and just like uh, virtually, like basically the book arrives and it's, it hits that threshold where it's just over where now it's up into the next bracket of price, which domestic, yeah. like for the U S meant maybe an increase of like 50 cents a package, which adds up mm -hmm. for international is like, well, this is now like $10 more expensive at least yeah. than yeah. what you thought it was going to be. And I was like, mm -hmm. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of form factor. And so for me, whenever I figured it out, um, like I just, I, so I use an A6 size zine for absolutely everything. This, now that I'm doing distilled and focused, I wanted it to be different than what I normally do, which is why it's a six by six. Mm. Um, there's a really kind of, there were kind of some funny people on Twitter whenever I was announcing it, they were like, you might want to consider doing it. I was like, no, 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 no. This, this is what I want to use because yeah. I like the square format. It's going to be weird putting pictures in there. It's going to be weird trying to make everything else work out. I will make it work out, but I, but I want it, I want it to be this size, right? Um, but everything else that I do is that is that A6 size zine because it fits in an envelope right. that weighs right at first class mail. And all I have to do is put an additional ounce stamp on it and then I'm done. Yeah. That's it, right? And it's just like once I figured that out and I figured out the weight on it, everything goes in there. And for me, it's kind of nice because like if people have all of my stuff, then it makes this nice little collection. Like I'm actually um one of the things that I announced at the beginning of this year, which I don't know if I'm going to do anymore at this point, is I redid all of reunification. Mm -hmm. It used to be in five and a half by eight and a half. I actually redesigned, re redid the layout. So it fits in an A6 size. Um, and I was going to release it later this year with proceeds going to like, you know, international refugee fund and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, but, but uh, places are out of A6 paper. Yeah. And so um, I'm just going to wait on that. And maybe during the summer, I might release a thing. I don't know. Um, but part of me really wants it because I just want them all to be the same. Right. So the to sit on a shelf. The, yeah. This is you're you're the weird one that has Travis Hill's press pot games zine collection. Mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I love. I mean, I I want to at, at some point. It feels very like 
I don't know. It feels weird, but I want to do like a Gila RPGs like omnibus collection or something at some point. And I just want to be like, listen, yes. I've, once I've been doing this for five years or whatever, like here's the box set of what I've done in five <laughs> years. And it's just, you know, and it, it, I do want to do it where it is all like the same size or at least the same dimensions. Because like Slayers was, was produced on A5 but then like everything I've done after that is half letter. So it's not, a, it doesn't line up perfectly on the shelf. And so I'm like, that bothers yep. me a lot. So like we're doing the Slayers reprint gotcha. later and it's going to be half letter. So it matches my scenes uh -huh. and my other stuff. Exactly. Right. I, same, same thing. Absolutely. Same thing. I love it. I want it to be, I want it to be the same. And I want to do, I want to do the very <laughs> self pat on the back thing of like, I've done enough in five years that I deserve a box. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the games have virtually no like connection it. to each other it's not like the mothership box set where it makes sense because it's all mothership sure. stuff. it's just like sure. here's a game about fairies doing crime and here's a game where the sun explodes and you're a mech and here's whatever else i do in the next five years and just put it all in one big box i want to do you that. you should do it you, you i would love to get the Spencer right. box set just ooh, it's just a right big there. picture of Clover on the cover because that's how you that's how you that's how you move units yes. right there. You put your dog yes. on it. <laughs> <laughs> she she's she's the brand. She truly is the brand at this point for me. And it works. <laughs> works great. Hey, it 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 does it does. I bring out um, I bring out our dog, our corgi, mm. Percy, only whenever. Only whenever I need to, like yeah. very, very strategic. You know, yeah. you're you're really strategic with Clover. Of like, you know, if I get more followers or I get more likes, and we're gonna have a Clover Fest, uh -huh. and it ends up being this whole thing, Clover Con, right? right? And um, yeah, no, that's fun. It's it's smart. It's a smart way to do it. Like with with my birthday post that I did yesterday, I was like, I should put a picture on it because pictures always draw attention. But nobody wants a picture of me. I'll put a picture of Clover <laughs> because the people will yeah. go like, Oh, what is this dog doing? Uh, tell me more about this dog. Oh, I guess there's something else going on as well. Um, mm -hmm. It's all part of the plan. <laughs> it's good. Oh, that's funny. It's fun. All right. So, um, I mean, we have just a little bit more time. I Because I do want to mention, like, so you're, for, for Distilled in Focus, you're not doing crowdfunding for it, right? So you're just going to pre-order the, the things and sell them after the fact. Cause that's, that's it, yeah. I remember one of the things that when I was first learning about you and like the design stuff you did is that you would do these like rapid kickstarters they would be like <laughs> they'd be like a week long and i remember yeah, thinking 10 days is about the longest that i that i like doing anything i remember mm. seeing that and at first being like travis is a fool what is he doing like you know why why would he cut himself off like that and then after doing like a 30 day going like travis understands this travis is very wise <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know kickstarter being kickstarter that's that's a whole other thing in terms of using sure. that as a service but just like the concept of like crowdfunding um like the slow drip of an itch fund is nice but i think if i ever did do like a like a proper crowdfund again, like I would want to do it at that rapid scale that you're that you did of like oh yeah just a week because you're getting mm -hmm. into like 
the lull is going to be the lull, right? Like you're going to oh, get the worst. You're going to get your first strong two days. You're going to get a strong last two days, and then the middle is inevitably going to just feel like a drag. So, do you want twenty mm-hmm. days of drag, or do you want three days no. of drag? And it's like well, because because then what? I'm also I also hate bloat. Yeah. Um. I have I have a really. I have a really strong. I have some really strong feelings about about what crowdfunding has done in terms mm. of transparency and in terms of of customer voice mm-hmm. and how that uh piece of my words together carefully here um, <laughs> I can see but, but but i i really i really don't like i really truly don't like how how crowd I, I love crowdfunding in the sense of like, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I'm able to do without crowdfunding. So I have been beholden to right. the the positive part of crowdfunding. But the issue with it, of course, is that at the end of the day, during those lull moments, people go, well, what are your stretch goals? Mm-hmm. Well, what's more insight into how your company is dealing with whatever or what do you plan on doing with blank Mm. and i just hate that i'm very conflict diverse i know it might not seem like it sometimes on twitter but i'm really conflict diverse and so the last thing i want to do is to tell somebody hey i need you to jump off your high horse and like let's not talk about this because this is dumb just I'm, i'm done with it you know and so i i hate it because it oftentimes it feels like it empowers it, it empowers the, the the consumer, which is great, and they should have a voice in some things. But I also don't fully believe that they should have a voice in the physical makeup of a product. In this, um, unless something's problematic, right? There's an issue with something. Something um, is like uh, colorblindness issues, you know, or sensitivity issues. Um, all that stuff. If somebody hollered out to me and said, Travis, did you really consult with anybody about this? Mm. That would be a kick in the teeth. And that is what I need. However, whenever somebody is like, well, have you tried this blah, 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 or what about this stretch goal? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't play that. And so because I didn't want to deal with it, I just made all my campaigns really short. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. Um, I put out, I'd done zines for a few years. I had put out uh, one, two, three, I had done four campaigns for zines and then i did did my first board game my first non-zine kickstarter campaign it wasn't a board game it was a card game right um it's card rails this just itty bitty box it's over there somewhere um this 90 you know 54 cards it's a it's a cube rails game right it's a train game on a deck of cards that's what it was um kickstarter was doing this make 100 campaign yeah Right. And I was, and I reached out to my friend, Matthew Gravelin, Matthew, we go way back. Matthew's the one who got me into this. So if, if I have anybody to blame or think it's going to be Gravelin because he, because whenever I was doing reunification, I was actually making it a card game. I was making like an 18 card card game that I was going to do something with. Um, And he said, he said, well, why don't, Kickstarter's doing this this zine thing. Why don't you jump in on that? And then I just totally whoosh mm. went the opposite direction. And and just Matthew and I, we pink ideas off of each other fairly often. Um, hey, have you thought about this? What about this? Um, just to kind of have a, a person to yeah. do stuff with, you know, d- design design brain. And so um, I reached out to him. I was like, I think I'm going to do this make 100 thing. 
I think I'm going to do it on a, on a, on a train game. <laughs> and he was like, no, go for it. And so I do it. Um, I knew, I knew it was going to do well because I just knew it was going to do well because no one had done it before. Um, I didn't know it was going to do as well as it did. Um, I was only making a hundred copies. It was only being shipped to the United States those things because it was right. my first time to actually box a thing and i did not want to did not want to overextend myself right right i sold all 100 copies in seven minutes <laughs> and then i had five days i made the campaign for five days right and i'm so grateful i made it for five days because then i had four days 23 hours and 53 minutes of people going why can't i get a copy why can't i get a copy mm. why can't i get a copy but I made PDFs available. So there, there were also a lot of people that were like, thank you for making the PDF available. Is this going to be available after the Kickstarter campaign? And right. I was, and so it was four days me going, sorry, y'all. Sorry, y'all. Hey, thanks. I know. Whew. I appreciate the support. No, probably not. It was just that for like four and a half days. I got picked up on some like big fancy streamers um, in the board game world. And they went to my, they went to my Kickstarter page and totally tore it apart. They were like, why only make a hundred games? Because you're, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And I'm like, y'all, I'm a grad student who's right. doing this, who works full time, who's doing this in my free time. Like I literally like it came with 60 cubes. Spencer, I ordered like 12,000 cubes from Germany and I had to literally <laughs> sort 60 cubes a hundred times my friend that is a whole lot of sorting and a whole lot of cubes and it was hot garbage now at the end of that I decided okay I'm going to do this again and so I opened up pre-orders mm. on my website the beauty of card rails is that it gave me the funds to make it to make a website yeah. right and so now I actually had a storefront that I could do stuff with um and so what ended up happening at the end of all this was um I opened up pre-orders on my site and I said, hey, you know, this is open for a month. I sold another like 190 copies of it, which is 190 times 60 of me sorting so cubes and shipping it. And I opened it up internationally as well. And I just said, y'all know that it's going to cost a lot of money to ship it internationally. And people did it. But that experience was me going, I have to really consider the length of my campaign. Mm. Because I did 14-day campaigns a couple times. And it just... It got to me by yeah. the halfway through it. It really got me to a point to where I went. I don't want to engage with this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to do this because I felt like I had to create more content. Like the right. bottom line is, I felt like I had to create more content. And unlike a lot of game designers, my my game, whether it is a game or it is a zine, is one hundred percent complete whenever I launch a campaign for it. Right. Like it just it just is. Right. I, I have it done so that whenever we're whenever the campaign ends, the money drops in. And honestly, because of how I have it set up, um, whenever the campaign ends and the um, and all of the uh, the 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 demographic information comes in, I I already just order the zines right. like before the money even drops into the account. Sometimes I order the zines, they come back, and then I ship them out. And then like within a month, typically the zines are out, whether it's. 300 or a thousand of them they're out and because that's just how i do this stuff right um I, i'm not saying it's the best way to do it you know i mean obviously i kind of cap myself of i only ever make x amount of money on stuff you know but i'm not doing a big box game like i love the big box games i'm glad that they're out there um but 
like my, who said this? James Chip said this, I think yesterday on, on Twitter to where James was talking about how he loves the look and the feel of Wander Home, but mm. the problem that he had with it is that it's just, it's a big book. Yeah, It's a big book to get through. And so just trying to go through it. And I have a lot of those same problems mm. to where my attention span with that type of, with that type of stuff, it's just hard for me to parse it through, especially coming from the board game world. Um, you know, I look at it as like, this is my manual that I have to read through before I sit down and play the game. But oftentimes they're not built that way. Yeah. They're built for the, you get about 20% of the info and then you can jump into it. Um, and I love, I love that, but I was never taught that. And so my brain still defaults to, I have to read this entire book first. And so because of that, I don't want things to be blown up and super large and just kind of knocked out of proportion. So in response to that, I go, my zines are going to be this big. And so in response to that, I go, I'm going to have a 10 day campaign Yeah, where I have four updates throughout the entire campaign. I'm not going to add anything new. It's already complete. That's just how it goes. Right. right. And so everything's just kind of built on, this is the package that I want to deliver. And I know you might want more, but really it's fine as it is. And I don't want to create anything else beyond it. So. That's beautiful. I mean, that's beautiful to just know, like, this is this is what I wanted to make. This is what I intended to make. This is, we're funding this, that we all know, mm -hmm. we're all on the same exact page from the get-go about this is, this is the thing. And just like, all right, we know the yeah. stakes, we know the situation, let's, let's just roll with it. Um, mm -hmm. God, I could talk to you for like hours and hours and hours about all of this stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I have to have you back because I want to talk to you about grad school and psychology and ed psych because I know that's uh, <laughs> stuff that you're in. But we're also at like our typical like wrap up time for coffee break. Sure. Uh, and I I know that the second I start asking you about ed psych, we're in for another like two hours. So so, <laughs> so I'm writing it goes. I'm writing down Travis episode two because it's going to be all about ed psych and stuff like that um this has been summer summer is perfect for me yeah exactly right that <laughs> summer will be a good time for us to chat about that um but i think this feels like a good this feels like a good wrap-up place just because i think we've covered yeah. we've covered so much there's so much cool stuff out there um where can people find you uh find the find the stuff to, to be able to throw support your way uh i'll put links to mm -hmm. all of this stuff like you know as usual in vods on youtube and and on the podcast stuff but where where if you want people to find you where can they find you <laughs> um so probably the 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 easiest place to do anything with me is is via twitter um i'm just travis d hill as in daniel travis d hill on twitter um i run press pot games whatever that means i am press pot games um, I used to do a lot of rulebook editing for board games, uh, which is a whole other, you know, two hour long conversation. Um, but I used to do rulebook editing for board games and it was all under the moniker of Presspot. Cause you know, once you start doing things, you go, you know what, I, I need to have a, a name, I need to have a name. Right. And so this is what I did um, because obviously I love coffee. Um, but you can, you can find me at Travis D Hill on Twitter. If you're not a big fan of Twitter, the only other place you can find me is Presspot.games. Um, that is the actual web store that has rulebook editing stuff on there, which I don't really do much anymore because, you know, I'm spending my time doing grad school. 
Um, but then that's also where you can find all the scenes. There's an actual specifically, uh, there's specifically dedicated menu for distilled and focused. Um, that's where people can go to, um, to submit mm-hmm. for a future issue, which I have not opened submissions to a future issue. Um, <laughs> I won't do so probably until May. Okay. Uh, May 1st is whenever I'm going to do it. Um, it is going to be solo based. Nice. Um, I do want the next issue. I don't know what the what the overall theme is going to be, but I want everything to be solo um, solo mode. Um, that's kind of my big jam anyways. Um, but I would love to do everything solo based for, for the next scene, but I don't, not entirely sure what actual theme is going to be, but it'll be something along, along those lines. But, uh, distilled and focused is there. All of my other stuff is there. Um, because everybody's out of a six paper, I quite literally have about, 30 copies combined total of every zine that I have, you know, between this world is not yours to portal at Hill house to the weight to uh, stay. Everything is just, I only have like 30 copies of all of them left because I haven't been able to order more and you know, they'll happen eventually, but yeah, pressbot.games or at Travis D Hill on Twitter. That's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, uh, huge thank you to Travis for being here and chatting about all this stuff. Uh, huge thank you to chat for hanging out or folks who are watching this on the VOD or listening to the podcast later on. Do go support Travis. Do, uh, do go support Distilled and Focused. Uh, I think it's a really cool initiative. I got to go find a copy of Paris Connection. Uh, that's my goal. Uh, that's my homework. Um, uh we will be back next week. I had the next guest in my head, and it has evaporated. So I'll look for the announcement on Twitter. Uh, I'll, I'll announce who is coming uh, back for coffee break next week. But you all have yourselves a wonderful rest of the day, uh, morning, afternoon, evening, wherever it is you are. And we will talk to you later. Bye.